Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, where we'll break down our top 10 Division I men's and women's teams heading into the 2024 season. Of course, with every passing episode, we reach one day closer to the start of the 2024 dual match season, and our Crack Rackets team is thrilled to be able to provide coverage throughout the duration of the year. We'll have podcasts. We'll have broadcasts. We'll have everything to shine a spotlight on a level of tennis that is obviously one of our favorites out there. Obviously, in the meantime, what we want to do for all of you college tennis fans is preview the 10 teams we think are the 10 best positioned entering the start of the 2024 season. Of course, if you want to hear more about our deliberation process, our honorable mentions who ultimately got left out where we think a couple of big picture things stand entering the next year. Go check out, or I should say scroll down on your Great Shot podcast feed. You can hear our college tennis preview preview show. That's right. Preview to the second degree as we talk about all of those things. What we're going to be doing on our episodes moving forward over the course of the next month, though, is previewing our top 10 teams. We're going to be taking a deep dive into how each of these teams performed during the course of the 2023 season. How are their rosters positioned heading into the new year? Did they have any breakout fall performances? How has their success been reflected in the current rankings? Of course, then we get a little abstract. We talk who's the most valuable point in their lineup. Of course, yes, that's a little projecting, but look, it's the top of the college tennis world. We know a lot of these faces, so we'll talk MVPs of these teams. We'll talk ceiling floor, schedule opportunities, and so much more. We are so excited to begin this portion of our previewing of the year. It's one of my favorite things we do throughout the course of any level, uh, excuse me, uh, over the course of the season at any level of the game. Anyways, leave all of that in in the intro. It speaks to, I'm very excited for today's show, our first preview show on the men's side. And joining me for today's episode, as he will for each and every episode throughout the course of our preview series, is a man all of you know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula. Predictions never far from the man's listed or team's listed UTR. I apologize. I was fighting a cough. The lean, mean Michigan Wolverine and, of course, a man who won't display any dismay even in the face of a flight delay. It's the professor, our dear friend, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show again. I'm so excited I'm screwing up your intro. That speaks to my frame of mind. How is your frame of mind, my friend, as we enter this process? 
I don't know. That could have just been a subtle backhand, you know. I'm not sure, but uh, no, I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. And uh, you know, as you uh, aforementioned, oh, those lovely flight days. We're working on about you know six hours sleep over the course of two nights, and I'm raring to go. That was not a backhanded anything. That was a forehanded <laughs> compliment. No dismay in the face of a flight delay. It speaks to your poise. No, under I meant pressure. the screwing up on my oh. behalf. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's just the tennis god's way of saying, all right, relax. Like it's just Chris. Um, but no, it is always a pleasure to have you. I appreciate you sharing your time with us, obviously, throughout the course of this process. And again, the previews are going to look the same over the course of all of these episodes. Might we make adjustments to our rankings as more December surprises are unveiled? I actually think that's a legitimate question at the top of today's show, and I promise we're going to get into all things Columbia Alliance here, Columbia fans tuning in, and I apologize that a controversy and another team is going to hijack the top of this preview podcast, but we always use the opening for tangents here as I get Chris warmed up, working our way into the show. The tangent comes with the number 10 spot, and it's a tangent for two reasons. One, we have three teams tied at number eight in our preseason poll. Now, I'm not going to unveil who all of those teams are at this moment, but it is a straight-up three-way tie, and let the record show, we voted 15 teams deep. My ballot has 20, 21 teams, something crazy on it because I do what I do. Um, But Even through all of that, three-way tie for the number eight spot, here's the thing. I am going to give one thing away. One of those teams tied for eighth is USC. And it is well known, Woj Tech Merrick is on the transfer portal. He will not be playing for the Trojans this season. There's also still an open question. Will Stefan Destanich be back for the Trojans? Now, our operating assumption is yes, but until we get a firm, confirmed yes, it's 1,000% happening, which I don't think either of us have received so far, Chris, I'm like... They are a team that maybe, especially if Steph doesn't come back, you feel a little bit less certain on. If we could all vote again, maybe they'd be a little bit lower in our rankings. And on the other side of the equation, I mean, our first December bomb dropped. And it was a bomb courtesy of our dear friend, Harry Jaden, head coach at Michigan State, who announced the arrival of Daniel Morita for this spring. And for those of you that don't know about Morita, UTR is 1394 13.94. 13.94. I know that's not the 10. Uh, that's not the, oh my God. This is so tennis number, world tennis number. I'm sorry. It's because I'm working my way into the season as well. I love you, WTN. You guys know that. Um, I don't know what the WTN equivalent is, but Michigan State in their press release says it's the second highest UTR out of all the 2024 signees in NCAA men's tennis. He's been ranked as high as 439 in the ATP Tour rankings, 15th highest ranked junior. He's coming to college. This spring, you add that to Ozan Barris, who's one of the 10 best players, clearly singles, doubles in the fall. You add that to Arani Holman, who is going to be asked to play the number two spot after playing number one for an SEC team these past couple of years. You add in, you know, Thanos. You have Max Sheldon. You have, by the way, the announcement of Tam L. Az- Asme, excuse me, another freshman who I believe they're bringing in for January, who uh, you look at what he's accomplished, the 19-year-old from Syria, 12.8 forward UTR, six ITF doubles title, has a singles title to his name as well. That's another legitimate piece for this team to work with. Like, again, 
There are other teams in the mix. We'll get to, obviously, Columbia knocks out one of the two, so there's only one missing spot, knowing USC's the third, and that's a great mystery you all can perhaps see solved later on this week. But it begs the question, Chris, do we leave that third spot, our number 10 spot, open in the meantime, settle the tie for eighth by saying these two teams are eight and nine, and we leave that 10th spot open until we get certainty regarding some rosters, and then we'll come back in like a week and a half and do number 10. Like, I think that's a legitimate thing for us to consider. I mean, we're, I, I think we got to roll with the rankings we put out because look, that's, we obviously, there are questions here, but as we roll, I don't think it's any surprise. We're not going to say where, but somewhere farther up that lineup, we're going to run into Stanford and everyone's going to ask, well, is Arthur Ferry coming back? Is Boss of already going to play after what he did on the challenger circuit? You know, all these questions and we could hold out, you know, Kentucky is Liam Draxel playing. We've already thrown that out. No, probably not. Uh, But you know, there, and and even other questions beyond that, you know, for, for teams. So I don't know. I I mean, I, I think we got to roll, but I will say, sure. If you tell me with knowing that Merrick's not playing, I don't think kills USC. They've still got a good team. If you tell me Steph's not coming back and, and I'm with you, I haven't heard anything to tell me that he's not, but I also don't have that. Yep. Thousand percent. He's there. I know coach Macy's going to do everything he can to have him back. Uh, but if you tell me he's not coming back, that absolutely, I would say, yeah, without either of those two, they're not the number eight, three-way tie team. Yeah. And I'm curious off of that. Again, there are other teams with significant cases. What do you make of the Marie deciding? Again, we talked so much about Michigan State in the fall, in the summer, but now it's a December surprise as well. Like it speaks to the power of fully funding. It speaks to the power of NIL, which by the way, is just a thing in tennis more than it than you would think. Um I mean, again, I'm not attributing those things directly to all things Harry. I think all of you know my thoughts on Harry Jaden and you know, again, where he is going to take this Michigan State program, what his future is in this sport. It's as high projecting forward as any young coach you have in the country. But, I mean, come on. Like, second highest UTR coming in to a roster that's already brought in some unbelievable pieces. This is a real top 16 team now at the least. Yeah, yeah. This is a, you know, we're going to get into it when we talk with about our top 10 teams. One of the, you know, one of the things we talk about is what's the ceiling, what's the floor. That the Michigan State with the signing of Marita has put themselves at a point where their ceiling is now top 10. I mean, they've got a le- I mean, a very, very legit top three, right? You got Barris, you got Holman, you got Marita. And then you already know you've got, I mean, your doubles is not going to be bad when you got Barris and Sheldon and you know, you know, top five in the nation. And you know, they're going to, they grab you one. You just got to find one more for dubs. Yes, it it strengthens them a lot. Yes, for, compared to the top 10 teams, their five, six is probably not going to be as strong as the rest. But if you're if you're getting two out of three or sweeping three at the top, you can beat anybody. That and a doubles point and it's over. So uh, they're a team now that on any given day, even if you beat them at four, five, six, they could still beat you. Uh, so yeah, they're a, they are a legit threat to anybody at this point. It's projection, but... Barris, let's say Homan starts out at two, Marita moves to three versus Kingsley, Boulay, and we'll say Bernard if it's outdoors. What's the record there? 
I mean, you still, I, you still have to give that edge to Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State's going, but two no, one, State, right? Not three zero. It, it's probably two. They, yeah, they, they yeah. ought to be able to find a win there. Uh, but uh, Ohio and Ohio State, even with the fact, even with say Barris and Sheldon at one dubs. You still got to give the edge to, to Ohio State and doubles. I mean, and but, four it's, or five, but it's not like last year it was a joke, yeah. right? We're not even having this conversation. Now you're at least going, man. But I'm not going to say that on, again, on any given, if they play 10 times, Ohio State doesn't go two, well, two and one or better all 10 times. Let's do this again. Barris Ozalens, Homan Miyoshi, Marita Heck. I like Michigan State. It's a good match. I mean, like, I mean here's I like your... I, I like Illinois better down low. Yeah, I like Michigan State better up top. Here's the thing: you talked about their ceiling. I think it's their floor. I think it's your floor is now top sixteen. Like that's got to be the expectation for this team. And finding the points for them, particularly given they're not playing kickoff weekend, most likely than more likely than anything, excuse me, means finishing second in the Big Ten. And that's why that Illinois conversation, and again, like young Nino Bickersteth, you probably lean Michigan State. I mean, again, we got to see Marita to expect any freshman to be that good right away. But the UTR, the pro results speak for themselves. They yeah, have put the them- January freshman's always tough too. So it, Here's it, what I'm we, saying, we will have to see how he, uh, you know, how he adapts to, co- to the college game. This team missed the NCAA tournament last year, and I'm making a case for them sneaking into a top 10 spot over a Stephless USC. And it's like, you're not laughing me out of the conversation. What no, a remarkable accomplishment. I'm not, as you say that, as we were preparing for, for this pod tonight, I was reviewing the results of the kickoff draft and it hit me as I looked and I looked at the results and they were like, I don't know, fourth or fifth alternate. They didn't even get in to the to the kickoff weekend because they finished, you know, whatever, wherever they were, somewhere around 65, 70, whatever. Uh, and I was just thinking to myself, what a joke. That team that they have now that were that is, you know, for sure, they're top 20 caliber and could be pushing uh, up towards that 10 mark isn't even playing in the top, you know, 60 teams for kickoff weekend. Yeah. So <laughs> and here's the thing. This is the window. Homan's a fifth year. You never know how long you're gonna have Ozon. And again, Marita's shown some serious pro results as well. So that team now, they've got some serious talent. They've got everyone's attention and there's someone to monitor. But of course, today we want to talk about a team that has had maybe the most interesting three-year script of any team we have in the country, and that's Columbia, who, of course, is our number eight team, or I should say tied for eighth for now, final spot to be determined here in the very near future. But we want to talk about the Columbia Lions today. And uh, again, as I alluded to in the intro, we're going to recap their 2023, talk about their roster, project the lineup, get into the ceiling and floor, all of those things. But again, for those of you unfamiliar with the Columbia story, I want to talk not just about 2023, but just remind all of you, there was no Ivy League tennis in 2021. And this is a Columbia roster that had been a top 16 team pretty consistently. 
from 2015 onwards you want to go a little bit before that that's fine but you know it was a group that not only had that sort of momentum from a result standpoint always at the national indoors always sneaking out usually with at least one win they you know are constantly round of 16 contenders at the NCAA tournament they're in the hunt not top tier but always in the hunt and certainly maximizing what you can do without athletic scholarships which they of course don't have at the Ivy League But then there's no Ivy League tennis for Columbia in 2021. And that's coming on the precipice of Rich Bonfiglio and Howard Endelman bringing in top 10 recruiting classes for three, four consecutive seasons and just accumulating all of this talent that all of a sudden just wasn't able to play any college tennis. And certainly you saw that in their 2022 results, not just the ranking hit everyone in the Ivy League took, but again, trying to figure out where all of the pieces fit, trying to rebuild all of those calluses that come with match experience. And so that young team, despite having a lot of talent, they go 15 and nine overall in 2022. Now you flash forward to last season, where on paper, this Columbia team had a Oh, you would argue a very good year. 20 and four overall in the season. You lose four matches, you're doing something right. And you look at the context of those losses two, four, three losses to Harvard, whom they also beat four, three during the course of the regular season. Again, that probably defined their season more than anything else, those results. But two, four, three losses to them, a tight loss to Tennessee, a tight loss in the NCAA tournament, four, two to Stanford, albeit a home match. Beat everyone they were supposed to beat. And yes, that Stanford loss isn't a good loss, but it's certainly not a bad loss given the quality we saw from that Stanford team, how closely they pushed Kentucky in the subsequent round of 16. That said again, what was their signature win? They got a 4-3 win over Harvard. That's an impressive win. They got wins over Cal, Pepperdine, out at UCLA Outdoors in California, a win over Northwestern as well. Good wins, no signature wins, no tier one victories. And so, you know, again, for a team that hosted the first two rounds of the tournament, but reached, you know, ultimately uh, round of 32, they're knocked out. A team that I believe hosted kickoff weekend, knocked out by Harvard, obviously a really, uh, excuse me, didn't host it, had to go to Chapel Hill, knocked out by Harvard, obviously a really tight 4-2 match there. You know, we didn't see them in the final sites or those final rounds of any of the big events. And so, yes, they beat Harvard to, I believe, ultimately win uh, win the ECAC championship. But no national indoors, no NCAA round of 16, no Ivy League title either. Or maybe they did split it all between Cornell. I don't remember if things got weird. Here's the point, And I apologize for that rambling. It's really tough to say because 20 and 4... You have the freshman of the year, an All-American in Michael Zhang. By the way, you had an All-American in Michael Zhang as a freshman. He was exceptional. You had a team that went 20 and freaking four and won the ECAC and really did not play a bad match throughout the duration of a season, something that's really hard to do. A team that, by the way, would probably be hosting a kickoff weekend event but this year, but They don't have to do that because they're hosting the final 16, so they get an automatic bid. It's tough to say, Chris Haliores. 2023, overperformance, underperformance, or just right for a group that, by the way, the final piece of context I would add from last season, Zhang was a freshman. 
Nicholas Kotzen, who was playing at the bottom of their lineup by the end, he was a freshman. Even guys like Hashimoto, Kotzen, Ruger, and others, Westfall, at best, they're playing their second years of college tennis. It was a really young team as well that did not take a bad loss. That is a building block, certainly, to move forward if you're Coach Endelman, if you're new assistant coach uh, Ian Van Kant as well. Your thoughts on Columbia's 2023, Chris? I could not have set the scene better for you. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Alex. Now, I mean, you. I mean, you nailed it. The schedule, you know, and a lot of a lot of these things are set a year in advance, right? You you only get so much flexibility coming in. I think we would have learned a lot more about this team had they had the schedule from the year before that, where I think we saw them go. Like, I think they had that road trip out to like Texas and USC and they played some very big non-conference matches. You know, they did get Tennessee last year, but like you said, you know, that it, the names on the schedule just weren't as big. And so they beat everybody that they were supposed to beat. And they played some really tight matches, you know, albeit the, the, you know, the, the triple affair with, with Harvard so it's tough. It's tough to say, but I would, all things considered, I would say just about right. I They've been in that mix. We've kind of had them pegged in that for a couple of years now, that 10 to 16 grouping. We've never been able to put them in the top eight. We've never really said, nah, they're, they're not even a top 16 contender. We've kind of had them right in that, in that zone and that's you know, and they finished right in the middle of that zone at, at 13 last year. Uh, I think they did it just about right, and they didn't really have an opportunity unless they could have pulled off, you know, a Tennessee win or uh, or you know more of the Harvard wins or made it to indoors. They just didn't have the opportunity to get those big points, and so that was you know that was probably the deciding factor in them not being able to make that push, but. 13 to eight is still a big push in trying to get that that next jump up uh, and to be able to host the third match in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but yeah, I think they 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 nailed it right. Yeah. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. Everyone playing in their lineup last year, Zhang, Westfall, Kotsin, Hashimoto, Kotsin, Ruger, had no more than one year of dual match experience on them. And this is a team that, to, again, as we continue to point out, everyone they were ranked higher than, they ended up beating. Like, they ended up beating, uh, excuse me, um, Cal. They ended up beating UCLA, Pepperdine. And, you know, again, this is a team that played four matches in that Tier 2 or Tier 3, however you want to categorize it, that 9 to 16 range last year. They went 1 in 3. In those Tier 2 matches, again, one win over Harvard, two losses to Harvard, a loss to Stanford 4-2 as well. Now, what's particularly encouraging about that Stanford loss, yes, they lose doubles, but they sweep spots 4 through 6. Hashimoto, Kotzen, Ruger all get straight set victories. They are all back this season. Or not straight set victories, excuse me, but I think it went unfinished, uh, that 6 match. But they get wins at 4 and 5. You know, again... They're one, two, three, Westfall, Zhang, and Kotzen. Yeah, they lose to Ferry, Bosferetti, Banerjee, respectively. But all of those guys are coming back this season as well. It's like they got their first taste of big matches. And as we always say, you have to lose those matches first before you can learn to win them. Now, again, if you are Columbia, you're disappointed because you lost 
three of the four matches you needed to win to go to the places where you really would have gotten that test, right? National indoors, three matches against top 16 opponents, round of 16 on the road against a top eight opponent for this young team to learn that environment, how valuable that would have been. I still don't think you can look back at last season and be glass half empty on this team. I think you have to be glass half full as we enter this season. But look, as we move to the roster again, there's some serious pressure on this group. It's kind of a win-now moment for this Columbia squad as everyone has started to mature. Again, Hashimoto, Kotsin, Horvat, who we've seen contribute over the years, Weingar, and you know Ravichandar, who had a pretty good fall, Ruger. They're all juniors or seniors. You know, They're all players who it's limited time left for them in Columbia. Additionally, Zhang's making challenger finals in the summer. Like, what if things progress really quickly for him? I know how valuable school is to Michael Zhang, but you're not a thousand percent certain you're going to have him for every year. It is your last year with Alex Kotzen, for sure. He's transferring after this season. Like, this group is only together for one more year. This is that year. The band is back together. How are you feeling about this roster, their upside going into the season? Yeah, I mean, I love the roster. Like you said, look, they, they've got, you know, we, we were going to, we talk about the, the key returners and the, and the departures, uh, none like on either side, right? It's, it's the same team, no key departures, no key newcomers. Hell, I will argue the biggest newcomer to this roster is Ian Van Cott. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, true. Uh, that's, that's going to be the the biggest change for them. So, uh, and as you pointed out, yeah, I, I feel good about the roster. And as you mentioned, one of the guys, I think that's going to be, that's going to be, you know, to use one of your phrases, the big inflection point for them is Ravi Chandra. He showed over the, over the summer, he showed that he can win some matches. Look, he, he had wins in futures tournaments over Noah Schachter, Daniel DeJong, Ryan Segerman, Daniel Malofsky, Tachi. I mean, all of those guys he beat in futures. And those are all guys that were playing top two or three on power five teams, right? Uh, So uh, with the exception of DeJong, but a a very good team there as well. Uh, I mean, it's look, he can play. The question is, is can they put it all together there? They have a lot of guys. I think in, when I look at that roster, I go, I think I have a pretty good idea of five of the six that are going to be in that starting lineup. Who's playing six. I'm not sure who that sixth is, even if they rotate positions, I'm not sure. And is it deep enough to, to really compete? And the, my only concern is, yeah, they're so solid that we all voted them in that, you know, into a three-way tie for eighth but I almost feel like that's the ceiling. That's interesting. I'm going to go with the glass half full argument here because I feel like I've been, it feels like my perception is I'm down on this Columbia team and I disagree with where they've been put in this ranking. I have no problem with it at all. Like there's a reason coach Endelman is ready to roll with this roster. You know who came closest to actually beating Andre Styler? Because Ethan Quinn didn't beat Andre Styler. Andre Styler beat himself in the NCAA singles final. You know who came closest to beating Andre Styler actually in this event was Michael Zhang. He was so good in the NCAA round of 16 that Nick Gruskin, when we have a lull in our conversations, my younger brother, because he gets a little uncomfortable during lulls, I, you know, I thrive in them. 
notice how I put in the poll that's there for a lull for our listeners. That's what we call an inserted joke. Anyways, he now brings up Michael Zhang every time because like to say he's all in on Michael Zhang and then Zhang makes the Puerto Rico challenger final in the summer, like validated everything Nick ever thought about how he recognizes game. And look, Michael didn't have the greatest fall. Tough loss to Spiz, round of 16 All-American. Early loss at Fall Nats as well. Cooper Williams, the Harvard freshman, beats him in regionals. But again, he's still one of the top 30 players in the country in the preseason rankings and someone everyone is stock up on entering his sophomore season. You have that at the top of your lineup. A guy who you feel like, even against a Virginia's Rodesh, even against a Kingsley of Ohio State, against anyone, you've just got a guy at the top of your lineup, who you think can get the job done. You know, again, Max Westfall now entering his third year at Columbia. How comfortable does he become in year number three, 18 and 10 overall last season? But, you know, again, he's got some real weapons. He's got some real game. His three-set loss to Banerjee, again, in that Stanford match was the swing match, but he clearly showed the level. And while he didn't have the biggest fall from a singles perspective, you know, you bring him back, you bring back Alex Kotzen, who spent another six months grinding away on the pro tour and continuing to work on his game. That is a real top three now, Chris, with real experience and real depth at all three positions. You feel like you got a shot against anyone. Again, even you can work in those Ohio State lineups like we did for Michigan State. You can work in the Michigan State top three. All those guys, like Zang versus Barris is a toss-up. You probably maybe feel a little bit better about Homan and um, Marita, but maybe not. Like, again, Kotzen versus Marita, freshman versus a senior. You're going to pick the freshman in that situation? Not so fast, my friend. It's a real top three with, again, depth with uh, with Ruger and Weingar and Kotzen 2 and Hashimoto and all these different options. This team has real depth. Like, they're in a, in a year where we said in our preseason podcast, you look at some of these teams that, down the rankings and you're like, oh, you're kind of missing a five. Oh, you're missing a six. We're back to the days of old. I don't know how elite Columbia will be at any single singles position, but there will be no deficiency in their lineup. Like everyone, soft schedule or not, should be winning 60% or more of their matches. Well, yeah, well, given the schedule, I'll say yes. Uh, I do think it's going to, but again, this is not a knock on Columbia. We've said it after we get past the top, like five teams, every, you look at every single team from there down and you go, I don't know about six, <laughs> but, and that's the same thing I'll say here. I go, I, I get a little iffy at six. I really like the top five. Although I do think to your point, yeah, the top three probably are the top three I won't be surprised if Ravi Chandra makes a push to be to be there. But right now, yeah, it's Zhang, Kotz, and Westfall in some order of 2-3. But I think that's the spot for me that I worry about is 2-3. Those guys, I don't know that when you start to play those high-end teams, Zang, I'm not worried about Zhang. Zhang's going to play with anybody. Uh, but Kotz and Westfall at 2-3 against the other 2-3s, to me, that's what's going to determine for them how they do. They are deep. They will battle with everybody outside of, let's say, a top five team at four, five, six. Can Cotton and Westfall hold the boat at two, three for them? If they can hold, if you know they can hold serve there, they're in great shape. And I think that's going to be to me the telltale sign for how things pan out for them. 
Yeah, I mean, look, Ravishandar wasn't contributing to their lineup last year, and certainly as you look at one of the players of who had a breakout fall campaign for the Lions, he would be at the top of the list. You look for Ravishandar, who, for those who don't know, senior out of New Jersey, I believe last season the stats available, 9-3 and three overall in singles, 6-2 and two in doubles. Obviously, that's limited action. You know, he had one of their breakout falls. He makes it to the final round of the Northeast Regional Championships, advancing to Super Regionals, where, again, he won some matches. It wasn't just like a one-match one showing uh, for uh, for him. I believe he won matches. Am I wrong here? No, excuse me. He won a match, but knocked out by Goganeni. But, again, wins multiple matches. That's the point I'm trying to make in this regional process. And, you know, again, it was him. It was Zhang. You didn't really see much Alex Kotzen, although Kotzen does make the quarterfinals of the Super Regional before getting knocked out by Zhang in three. So certainly not a bad fall for a guy whose level I always am pretty high on uh, heading into a college match. You look at the rankings right now uh, in terms of ITA rankings coming out of the fall right now. Columbia has three players in those ITA rankings. Zhang's at 24, Ravachandar 106, Westfall 110. I mean, again, Max Westfall's another guy in and out of the lineup, I believe, for Columbia last year. I don't think he played in their match against Stanford. And in fact, looking back, he did not. He's one of the three ranked players they got this year. So you're telling me six is the problem? Like even after the breakout fall? I don't I don't know. Well, that's right. I, I think that to me, it's a question with Kotzen and Westfall. Can they hold up? But but I think Zhang, Kotzen, Westfall, Ravi Shander, and Oh, and yeah. Nick Westfall Kotsen. is right there in the lineup. I was thinking of Weingar. I'm confusing my W's. That was very dumb of me. Sorry. But but I think down to Nick Kotzen, I think those five guys are in. And then it's, you know, Henry Ruger got some time last year, Hashimoto. I think those two guys are, you know, as well as Weingar, are, are in there battling uh, and then, of course, and you still got Horvat, who was there last year as well. Uh, they're in there battling for, for that playing time. To me, that's just, a, you know, I think that's going to be a tough spot. But that's not this. Again, it's honestly not the spot I'm worried about. I think if they get somebody to step up in that sixth spot, that's going to be great. And that's going to be bonus. You know, with what they're playing there, they're at the same level as almost everybody else. You know, if I go six through 20. Their six is the same as everybody's six at six through 20. I still stick with it's the two, three that there's just some schools even below them, as you mentioned, like a Michigan State, where I would probably lean Holman Merida over Cots and Westfall at a two, three spot. So those two are really going to have to step it up. And we didn't see a lot of Westfall in the fall. We didn't see a lot of Cots in, in in college action, but we saw a lot of Kotzen over the, I mean, Kotzen played a lot of tennis. He played a lot of pro tournaments, a lot of futures matches, uh, and, you know, and picked up a, a bunch of wins. He made a semifinal of a, of a 15 K in San Diego. He made the quarters of a, of a 15 K, uh, in July. He, you know, he played all Americans. He played super regionals, uh, played, a in, in a challenger up, uh, up in Canada in that challenger there. He, uh, made it through qualies uh, and uh, and got a win over the, the the kid from Tennessee that's no longer staying in college and and moving on there but uh, but yeah he he played a lot of tennis and had some good wins I'm not so worried about Cotton I'm a little worried about him at a two spot but Westfall we just haven't like you said we haven't seen a lot of him uh, here in the fall so that I need to see some more of Westfall especially knowing that I think he's there three. 
Fair enough. Again, Westfall 110, Ravichandar 106, Zhang 24. Those are the ranked Columbia Lions in singles and doubles. Constant Westfall 21, Horvat Hashimoto 50, Polta and Templeman at the number 56 spot right now. So you think it's Westfall at number three. That's what you're going with the MVP in terms of most valuable point? I will. Yeah, I mean it's in that two three the, the spot, inflection right? point. Dare I say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's going to be that. That's going to be the big sign. Those that two three spot for them. But I mean both of them really is that. That's going to be the telltale sign for me. Not unfair. Again, uh, the Kotzen argument is very clear for why he would be the MVP if he's what he was two years ago when he was pretty clearly one of the thirty best players in the country, playing in that top spot for Colombia and thriving there. If that's the guy who shows up and you have him and Zhang in that top two and then there's any more progress from Westfall, like now it's a really good top three. So that argument for two, three being the inflection point for their ceiling, I think is fair. My question is, again, who's that number four guy? You saw Hugo Hashimoto kind of descend downwards in the singles lineup over the course of last season. Now, last year, he, it was an improvement for him. He went 14-9 overall his freshman year, 14-12 overall his sophomore year, 9-3 in dual match play. The win over Basing uh, to help his team in that second round over Stanford. Like, If that's the guy you're getting, match in, match out at four, that's a huge win for this Columbia squad. It allows them to, again, keep themselves in that top 16 caliber. And, you know, again, it was a relatively soft schedule last year. That 9-3 and three dual match singles record, I want to see Hashimoto replicate that against the more good teams that I'm certain Columbia will play this season. Now, I do want to say, you said earlier I don't want to knock them. I'm going to knock Columbia real quick. Tuesday, December 12th, no schedule on the website. Making our job difficult. I probably could have texted Howard and he would have sent me the schedule and I apologize for that. But send it to the people, Howard. We all want to know who the Lions are matching up against this year. I think I go Hashimoto at four because, right, you're taking for granted that it will be Hashimoto at four. And, like, again, has he been that consistent over the course of this year to make it think it's a sure thing? I don't know. What if Kotzen, younger Kotzen, Nick, takes a step forward? What if one of those other guys, like a, uh, I'm blanking on his last name, I apologize, a Ravishandar, makes a big leap forward as well? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'll tell you what, the, given that, what well, A, they're hosting indoors, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Which is the, awesome. Yeah, that which is great, right? B, I, I'm kind of early in the season. I mean, look, Nick Kotzen's six five. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to say this guy's not going to be in the line. He's not going to be contributing indoors. Uh, you know, fast surface. Columbia's always great indoors. I just, I mean, I, I've seen, I've seen what Robbie Shander can do. I mean, you you don't get you pick up one good win like a Noah Schachter win, and you say, oh. Okay, I saw that. Maybe maybe Noah had a bad day. Then you beat Daniel DeJong. Then you beat Ryan Sagerman. Then you beat Daniel Malofsky, one of the Harvard top guys. Then you beat Tachi from Wake Forest. I'm uh, After how many of those do you have to get before you think this guy's got, I mean, sure, you know, maybe he's an up and down, ceiling's high, floor's low, but that that guy's he's got to get a good look at, at at more time so so i don't know i'm i think in my head after all of that obviously he's got to show it in college and not in a future uh 
but but my head's looking at those results thinking those are the most impressive results outside of the top three that I've seen on the team since you know since the end of last season so I'd be leaning that way interesting so then when you look at the ceiling of this team again right now tied for eighth we may re-examine that official number moving forward is that it for this team? Now, do you think they're in the top eight hunt? It's tough to see before we know the schedule, but we know they'll get three at least good matches at the national indoors. Are they in the top eight hunt? We know they're in the top 16 hunt as that floor, but what's that ceiling look like for you? Yeah, they're definitely in the top eight hunt, but I kind of put that ceiling at seven, eight, right? I mean, to me, there's a top five that just, you know, the teams we're talking about right now aren't going to be able to penetrate barring something, you know, happening and injuries or people not showing up or whatever, uh, which which sort of puts all of these teams we're going to be talking about until we get there in my head at the ceilings already six at best. And to say six here, I don't see them coming out in front of every single other team I think that's going to be rough, but I think seven is is legit, but I do sort of think that that's the ceiling, but I think that's the argument we're going to have with everybody in my mind from, from six down is yeah, it's good. The ceiling is, it's really tough to crack, to be able to crack that top five and, and the ceilings there, but every single one of these teams has a legit shot to host uh, a top eight. It's a crazy year, but it is a year where it feels like, of the top eight, you know, again, you feel like all five Power Five conferences should have their conference champion represented, and yet the one you're least certain about is the SEC. It's also worth noting that Harvard, much like Columbia, is ho- – uh, well, Columbia is already guaranteed. Harvard's hosting, though, uh, yep. their ITA kickoff weekend. Ole Miss, Northwestern, UCLA coming to town. You get two Ivy League teams into that final 16 field. That much bigger for the Ivy League champion gives them that much more of a shot, I should say, at securing a top eight seed. You want to know low-key the thing that I think hurt them that is no. probably not on anybody's head? Save it for next week's show. No, no yes. I mean, her, yes, her, I, of, of course I'd like to know. Hurt that her, I think hurts Columbia and Harvard for that matter. Cornell passing yeah. on the kickoff weekend, sure. Like sure. that's just a, with Popaway doing. What yeah, that's a well. good good team. Yeah, that if Columbia and Harvard manage to beat, will get valuable points for beating because Cornell will have will they will be very very good this year and have a good ranking, and passing on the opportunity to pick up a good win on kickoff weekend just didn't help the Ivy League. I'll tell you this, if Princeton beats TCU or Penn beats Virginia in that opening kickoff weekend, that would really help as well. Don't think we forgot about you other Ivy Leaguers. But yeah, again, we don't have the schedule in front of us, but top eight is a ceiling for this team. You win the Ivy League, you don't lose any bad matches like you did last season, and you start to, you know, you go from one and three to... I don't know, maybe you lose round of 16 national indoors, you win your next two, or you go at least one and two there, you get wins over Harvard. Top eight has to be the ceiling because there's a pathway for top eight for the Ivy League champion. I don't see the floor for this team lower than top 16, Chris. They were too consistent last year. I think they get back there at a minimum, right? I don't know about that. I mean, there's there's so many factors when I think about the floor. I think the floor oh, is in that in that twenty to twenty five range because the the problem here is, yeah, if you t- you know if you want to make it the caveat that, and and I won't even I won't even say the whole lineup, but I'll say uh, I won't even go top three. I'll say the top two. 
if the caveat is Zhang and Kotzen are a hundred percent healthy the whole year, no issues. I think 20s as low as they go. But if anything happens to either one of them, we I start talking 25 uh, as as being a floor, if you will, uh, because there's just we are so packed from six down to 25 to 30 that and, you know, and and we all and every year somebody right someone in that group, you know, there's going to be a few teams that jump up and go, wow, you know, somebody made some big jumps over the summer and a few teams pop up. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it could, it could get tricky trying to stay top 16 if things don't go their way. Right. Or, you know, God forbid they, I don't see this happening. They're hosting. They're great at home. They're great indoors. I don't see them going. zero and three uh, in, in uh, at the national indoors. And because they're the host, everybody else earned their way there. So there's no, host that could be a bad loss for them to take there will be no bad losses but not picking up a win there that could hurt we need to see their schedule uh like you said to to be certain but i would not i won't feel comfortable saying outside honestly outside of the top five i don't i'm not going to say anybody's floor is 16 i think anybody from six down could finish as low as 20 to 25 with you know, things not going their way and picking up an injury along the way, you're finding yourself in the 20s all of a sudden. Chris Hallioris, that's a fantastic answer. And that leads me to my final question. And because we don't have a schedule, this is where I'm going to end things. Do we pick the right Ivy League team for this spot? Like, are we sure it shouldn't be Harvard? Because you look for a Harvard team that, yes, loses one of their top players in Harris Walker, their number one and a top 50 player in the country. They lose their number five, Steven Sun. But von der Schulenberg is back. Jachuk is back. Malovsky is back. Pape is back. You also bring in one of the top freshmen in the country and uh, Cooper Williams, who was a top 20 ranked junior to end the year. Already uh, saw him beat Michael Zhang in the fall. Like, are we sure we picked the right Ivy League team? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I, it was it was it was legitimately a tough. You know, you look and you, you we look this year, and it's probably we've had a, a few years before where you know the Ivy League had they were kind of strong, but they were kind of strong in the yeah we're okay we're gonna get two of them into the top sixteen. We've got two of them that are legit threatening at top. 10 this year you know at least they could be so yeah i would we can't sleep on on harvard the only you know the only thing you've got to the to be questionable out there is cooper williams right we all we always look at the freshmen and say how are they going to adapt again i think he adapts better than many because he's 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 american he's used to the college game is a knows a little more about it. He knows what he's getting into, unlike some of the foreign foreign guys that come over and just don't realize how much of a team thing it is, and it's not just an individual out there playing. Uh, so, I th- I think they're going to adapt well. Yeah, that's another very 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 good team, and I we could legit see two top ten teams. I don't man would it be it would be crazy amazing if we saw two top eight that would be just no wild I, yeah i say both went two and one at the indoors which would be crazy yeah they're gonna that that's about what it's gonna take for that to happen because they're just gonna beat up on each other but but 
if they or, can get or, some help from Cornell or, being or great. Or Penn beats Virginia in the kickoff yeah. weekend. That's well, actually get, the other path. Let's not get carried away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but if but if if Penn, Princeton, Cornell can actually pull off just good rankings, right, to give them good points, and we still have to see the schedule. But yeah, those two, they're and both they probably get- have to beat. They both probably have to beat each other. Is the other thing to help get that top eight push? And you don't know how many times they're going to play this season. Last year, again, they played in a couple of tournaments plus the regular season, not scheduled home and home. But yeah, I mean, again. I, we don't make predictions anymore on these podcasts. I told this to Jay. I forgot to tell this to you before we start. I'm not going to make us do that anymore because we scrap them halfway through anyway. So we're just going to scrap those and we'll make predictions throughout the course of the year. We're not, Here's, we're not making will, predictions other than our preseason top 10. Yeah, exactly. It's a prediction <laughs> in itself, folks. My one question for you, I will ask for one prediction. Does an Ivy League team finish top eight? Ah. On the spot, Chris Halioris. I just have to say no. I mean, <laughs> the, the odds are just so – I mean, they're both going to be right there battling, but the odds are stacked against them pending seeing those schedules. They just – they both – I mean, they have to have a good indoors. Columbia's obviously there. Harvard's got a great shot to be there. It's very possible, but, yeah, they, they really need those non-conference wins. Yeah, well said, and with that in mind, folks, that will do it for our preview of the currently tied for eighth, but again, we still got some sorting out to do, Columbia Lions, who certainly we are looking forward to compete this season again, a deep squad, an experienced squad, one that we're talking about, contending for a top eight seed, something, again, you don't say very frequently in Columbia Lions history, even given the last decade of success. With that said, though, first preview in the books, Nine to go. Again, we hope you'll stick with us for each and every episode. If you miss any, make sure you don't by subscribing to the Great Shot Podcast feed. You'll get updates every time a new episode emerges. Of course, you'll also have access to our top 10 preview on the women's side of things, where, of course, our dear friend John J. Parsons joins me each and every week. That said, Chris and I will be Monday, excuse me, Tuesday and Thursday podcast, Jay Wednesday and Friday the rest of the way. So, again, if you're trying to time things accordingly, that is our schedule moving forward. Chris Hallioris, episode one in the books almost. Any final thoughts before we wrap? Ah, nine more to go. That's my final thought. And And then we get real tennis, January. And then we get real tennis indeed. Well, then, with that said, a thank you to you, as always. And I thank you to our super producer, Danny Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With that said, for the fantastic Chris Hallioris, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you tomorrow to talk through our number nine women's team. Thanks, everyone.